Let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word, taken from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. This is the Word of the Lord. Thank you. May be seated. Will you please join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your servant Paul. I was not there with him in that Roman prison when your Holy Spirit inspired him to write these letters. But we benefit greatly from the same Spirit who inspired Paul, who's here with us. Illuminate your word, open our minds and hearts to receive your word. Encourage us, your people, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've placed upon us. It's not impossible, Father. And so, Lord, honor your word this day, mindful that it will not return to you void. It will accomplish everything that you've purposed for it to do in this place. Forgive the sins of this one who stands before you, Father, for they are many. We want to see Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. I had a favorite uncle I met early on in life. And one of the greatest memories I have of him was that a few years after Chris and I were married, he visited Nassau, and he asked me to borrow his, my car. And I felt so proud that my uncle, who was, he was a multimillionaire, and he didn't need anything, but he borrowed my car. I guess it's like a child growing up, and, and then your parent finally says to you, would you do this for me? You get that sense that, wow, I'm capable of doing things now. And I think this is the attitude that Paul engendered, and this is the way the church at Colossae felt. They never met Paul, and Paul asked them to pray for him. You can imagine those saints going, wow, the great apostle Paul wants us to pray for him. How can God's people make a greater impact for Christ in a fallen world? The answer, my friends, I think is through the leading of the sovereign God who causes his people to either go or send, but also pray. Yes, the Lord Jesus taught us in both word and by example that God's people are called to a life of commitment to prayer. I'm sorry you got my morning voice. This is the voice that terrified our son. <laughs> the brother who took the flag up for the United States Air Force, our second son, spent four years in the Air Force. And, and uh, one day he called me and he said, boy, Daddy, I'm so sorry for the way I disobeyed you. 
I'm taking orders from these people who don't know half as much as you. But I roared in the morning. This is my morning voice. So for the children in the audience, I love you dearly. <laughs> Just consider me a big Jew. A big, not big boo, big Jew. Okay? But this is my morning voice. But the Lord is calling us to a life of commitment to prayer. And this is an expectation from God. Listen to 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. The history of the church and our progress is the history of prayer. As the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul was on a mission from the God of missions. Yes, our God is ascending God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul wants his readers to willingly join him in his mission of extending God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. How does he accomplish this? As I said earlier, Paul had never met these saints at Colossae, nor has he met you and me. However, he motivates them, and he motivates us to make praying the greatest priority in the life of a Christian. And here's how he does it. First, he encourages his readers to develop a faithful prayer life. And then he also empowers his readers to see ourselves through the eyes of our Savior and to see life from God's perspective. Paul's final aim is also to equip us to become prayer warriors or co-laborers in the mission of making Jesus known to those who are lost. So he's encouraging us, he's empowering us, and he's equipping us. Look at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He is encouraging a faithful prayer life. And as I read this, the first question I have is, well, what is prayer? I'm sure the Westminster Confession has an answer for that. But I want to simplify it by saying that God expects us to pray. It is a priority for God's people. Why? Jesus prayed. Prayer grants us instant access to the sovereign God. We can go boldly to the throne of grace. And not just hang out in the foyer, according to a wise man. Prayer is the vital breath of God's people. It is our greatest weapon. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. And then after you've done, just stand. Not stand slouching, but stand in readiness. Praying always in the spirit. John Bunyan says, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ. In the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit, for such things as God has promised, or according to his word, for the good of the church, with submission and faith to do the will of God. I know that went quickly. But go read Bunyan. You could Google it if you want. He, he captures it. So that's essentially prayer. It's, it's all of these things. It's a priority for God. 
and he wants it to be a priority for us. So why is prayer a priority for us, or should be? Well, for starters, it was a priority for Jesus. It was central to his messianic ministry. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed, or in essence, where he often prayed. In Luke chapter 5, and verse 15 and 16, Jesus had just healed a man with leprosy, and the crowds came from all over the region, and they came to him because they wanted him to heal them and to tell them the good news. But Scripture says Jesus withdrew to a deserted place to pray. This guarded universe, veiled in flesh, prayed before his baptism. He prayed before his transfiguration. And he travailed in prayer in Gethsemane as he faced his arrest and crucifixion. The guiding principle in Jesus' earthly life was that he made prayer a priority over activity. Jesus sought the Father's guidance, and then he acted out of what he received from the Father. He didn't ask for, he didn't apologize as some of us do. We just charge in and then ask for an apology. Jesus asked for per permission. This one who is equal to God didn't consider himself uh, unequal or, or robbery to be equal with God. He humbled himself and he submitted himself to what the Father wanted. And guess what? This crucified, buried, risen, and ascended, exalted Savior is now seated at the right hand of the Father doing what? Interceding for us. Praying for us. C.S. Lewis tells us that the history of the church since the days of the apostles is the story of God's people doing exactly what Jesus did. He writes, the kingdom of God moves forward through prayer. Those who have been most used of God in every generation have been men and women of prayer. And the movements that have had the greatest impact for Christ have been those based in prayer. Scripture says men are always to pray, and women, and boys and girls, and not faint. Paul calls us to be devoted to prayer. This doesn't mean that we pray all day and do nothing else. No, that's, that's wrong. Scripture demands that we do other things, like worship, like sing, like lift holy hands. But but Paul says we need to be devoted to prayer. So what does that mean? Well, think of a husband devoted to his wife or vice versa. You don't spend all day, I mean, you don't spend all day looking up in your wife's face saying, honey, I love you. How many of y'all seen the movie uh, Madagascar? Remember with the big hippopotamus? She's hot. She's sweet. You know, we don't do that all day. She'll say, honey, go to work. But she knows that we are devoted to, to her, right? Your wife knows you're devoted to her, but she expects you to leave the house and go to work. Even during COVID, she expected you to leave the house. <laughs> but 
that's devotion. It's a, it's a, it's a life principle. It's, it's, it's a disposition. That Paul says, you must have a disposition. At one point he says, Peter says, be ready to give an account for everyone who asks you about the hope within you. That's devotion. And so devotion to prayer is just be ready to pray. Be ready to depend on the Lord. Okay? So the idea here, my friends, is that we are called to become dedicated to the other. This devotion implies a strong attachment, a strong allegiance or affection to prayer. And so I beg you to allocate some time, quality time, to talk to God and also listen to the one who loves you most. I mean, I love being with my wife. I don't know about the rest of you husbands. But I really enjoy being with this one who died for me. I, I'm fascinated that, that a holy God left heaven and became flesh and then lived perfectly and then died for me. I'm, I spent a lot of time asking questions as a typical two-year-old. Why? And then I read, and then I go, why? Because I love you. Well, why? Spend time in his presence. Why should we pray? Why should we pray? It's all in verse 2. Prayer expresses our absolute dependence upon God, simply put. It, it just expresses that we need God. Paul says in, in verse 6 of chapter 2, a few passages before this, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In essence, just how you started, that's how you continue. And how did we start? By grace, we say it a sinner's prayer, right? We made a sinner's prayer by grace. So why did you start praying? You think you're so saved now that you don't need to depend on the Lord? There's an old song in the Bahamas, and I think it may be, you know, for those of us in the South, you may know this, if you ever needed the Lord before, you sure do need him now. So just how you started, just keep, just keep on praying. One of my professors, he's gone to be with the Lord, Jack Arnold, he says, a Christian who doesn't pray is a contradiction. Covenant prayers, listen. You and I know that there are times when it seems as if our prayers get no higher than the ceiling, okay? It seems as if the Lord's taken a vacation. Or maybe, you know, at one point in my life, I used to say, God, this is me, Julian, house number four, greenhouse with white trim. I'm in the back bedroom. Because I had come to the conclusion that he used to pass me by. That's why I don't like that song, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. He won't do but sometimes you feel as if he is not listening. Sometimes you feel as if it's not worth even praying because you've been praying for something for so long and nothing's changed. But we, we have to persevere in prayer. For the person who continues in prayer, in prayer cannot stay in a spiritual fit or dry place. Jack Arnold said again, when it's hardest to pray, we ought to pray hardest. 
We must press our, our way through all spiritual valleys and dark nights of the soul. And I beg you, do it through prayer. Don't just be too quick to say amen. Sometimes if you're praying and you feel as if God's not listening, tell him, okay, okay, God, I got to go to work, but let's talk later on. That's, I, I'm serious. That's, that's how weird I am. One of the things, you know, Pastor Tim asked me the other night, one of, if, some of my hobbies, one of the things I really enjoy coming from a small island nation is driving the highways of the United States. I like to drive for like 12 hours, 17 hours. Sometimes I listen to classic rock, but a lot of times, just to keep me awake, you know, but a lot of times I just like to talk to God. And so you tell him, okay, God, I'm, I'll talk to you later. I got to get some gas. So you try that, man. Turn the radio off sometimes. Just drive around and, and talk to God. And then keep your little black book and sometimes he answers and just write it down. Just journal it. But press your way through in your prayers. And so this brings us to our, what should our posture be before the Lord? Paul says, we are called to be devoted to praying and to also be alert. And this implies fervor, persistence, and perseverance in prayer because we are in the light. As the children of, of light, we walk in the light, so you have to be alert. You're always seeing things. You remember Jesus gives this parable of the widow and the unjust judge. I think it's in Luke 18. The judge boasted that, you know, I don't, I don't fear God. I don't fear human beings. But this woman is just getting on my one last nerve. She won't shut up. She just keeps showing up every day. One time a, a, a Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus and said, Jesus, please heal my daughter. Jesus told the woman, you know, we don't give, we don't give food to dogs that we give to the children. Jesus called the woman a dog. Now in modern times, you know, that's cool. One time I was in the gym uh, and you know, my, my kids were like 12 and 13, and the guy says, what up, dog? And I was offended. And, and my son said, no, daddy, that's, that's a good thing. They call me dog. I said, oh, okay. But Jesus called the woman a dog, and the woman said, that's okay. Just give me the crumbs. I'll, I'll eat it. Sometimes you got to pray like that, my friend. Just pray, and because God knows what you need. God knows what's in your heart. So don't go to God and and say, hey, I need to talk, and then, then it's not important. Like the parent who hears from the, the child the night before, and, and there's something, something's going on, and then all of a sudden the next morning, you call the child and ask them, how are you doing? They say, oh, I'm fine. You're fine. I spent the whole night. Thanks for those prayer tidbits, you know who. But that should be our posture. Just persistence, alertness. And we are to watch. Be watchful. Just keeping awake. In the Garden of Gethsemane, especially in Mark's account of it in chapter 14, he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? 
watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the, the flesh is weak. So watch. Keep alert. Stay alert. And pray. We have all experienced a zeal to pray and then sitting down or kneeling or we are flat on our faces. And then we pray for a while and, and then our minds wander. And we get drowsy and sometimes fall asleep. I'm told of a guy who did construction and, you know, he learned how to pray in the morning because every evening he would come home so tired and he would be kneeling at the bed and his wife would have to wake him up and take off his construction boots because he'd fall asleep, tired. Stay awake, my friends. Be alert. Be on your guard against wandering thoughts because your enemy is roaring like a, he's roaming like a roaring lion. We not only to pray, but our prayers are to be filled with an attitude of thanksgiving. Again, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This attitude of thanksgiving produces a spirit of humility and gratitude. And Paul later says that in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. Put in everything by prayer and supplication or petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. So in essence, have the assurance that the one who loves you so, more, so much, the one to whom you're talking, he really is, is, he is not, he's not consumed with how he's going to answer it. He really delights in your presence. John puts it this way. If, if we know that it's the will of God, we know that we have those things that we've already asked for. Now, I'm not preaching word of faith stuff. All I'm saying to you, it's more important to be in the presence of God than to go to God with the expectation that when I leave his presence, he's going to give me what I ask for. And what you really need most is to grow in grace. And to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what, that's what we really need most. And so why be thankful as we pray? Well, I know why I'm thankful. I like the words of this song, Amazing Love. Listen to this. I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. I'm accepted. He was condemned. I'm alive and well. The spirit lives within me because he died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? When we pray with thanksgiving, we cannot be negative or critical. I really want the Lord to heal this shoulder without surgery. This will be surgery number six. But if he doesn't, I mean, he is still, he still loves me. We really want the Lord to do that one thing for us. But if he doesn't, he, he still loves you. And the more time you spend with him, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. So you're encouraged to pray. And then Paul wants to enable us in verse 3 to see life from God's perspective. And that's what prayer does for us. Listen to this. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. He wants the Colossians to pray for him and the others like Epaphras and Timothy. 
Again, you can imagine how these saints felt as they read that the great apostle to the Gentiles asked them to pray for him. I'm sure they were encouraged. Undoubtedly, Paul's request must have also given them a sense of empowerment. Church, please continue in prayers for your pastors, for your elders and deacons, and, and even the missionaries, especially when they ask you to do so. And don't look at, at Pastor Tim and go, what, has it come to this? Please pray for me. And you go, oh, is it that bad, Pastor? No, just pray for me. Because sometimes when we ask people to pray, they think, oh, something's wrong. Something must be wrong. Because he's the man of God. So Paul said, pray for me. Really? One time, Christiana's mother was, was ill. And our son, Jason, was about five years old. And she was, we went to visit her parents, and we go into the house, and she's, she's laying down. And, and I said, man, we need to pray for Grammy. So Jason leaned over, and he stammered, you know, and he put his hand on his grandmother. He said, Jesus, please heal Grammy. She cooks for us. <laughs> And, and that was her response. She just started laughing, and she got up. Whether she was healed or not, she got up. We need to see it from God's perspective. Okay? Paul saw each Christian, and he sees each Christian as a fellow laborer in the business of extending God's kingdom here on earth. He recognized those, these unnamed saints at Colossae and he valued their contribution to making Jesus known to the nations. On behalf of all the missionaries, we recognize your contribution to the extension of God's kingdom, and therefore we urge you to please pray for us. Unlike many of the so-called celebrity Christians, and that's an oxymoron, by the way, Paul was also not shy in asking other believers to pray for him. He didn't see this as a sign of weakness. His brother was honest, and he sensed he needed prayer to become more effective for Christ. We often hesitate to ask others to pray for us. Why? Because many of us don't want others to think we are weak, or we don't want to expose our problems. But asking each other for prayer is an admission of need. It is an act of humility. But remember this, if Pastor Tim or, or Pastor Derek or me or any other leader in, 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 in this denomination asks you to pray, it's basically a tool that the Lord has given us to help empower you to see yourself the way God sees you. One of the things I love about the, P, the PCA, Pastor Tim, is we are, not, we are not stars. We are not rock stars in this denomination. We have ruling elders over us. We have people who govern us. We don't get too big in this denomination. It's always Jesus. And so if I tell you, please pray for me, I'm not, I'm not, trying, to, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. Part of it is trying to empower you to begin thinking that you, are, you, you value, you mean much to the kingdom of God. And when we begin to see ourselves in light of what God says about us, it gives us more impetus to begin seeing life 
from God's perspective. Here's what I mean. Notice Paul's prayer. Pray also that God may open a door to us. Who's going to open the door? God. Paul is using this opportunity to teach the saints that it is the sovereign God who by his good providence, who is in total control of everything that happens, both visible and invisible. So don't pray that a door would be open. No, Paul could have said that. God is the one who opens the door. The one who is your savior and father, he is the one who closed the door of the ark. He is the one who opened the Red Sea and then closed it. He is the one who tore the curtain, the veil of the curtain in the holiest of holies, and then opened a new and living way to the cross. He opens doors. He alone opens doors. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer labors in vain. You do not want to walk into a door that God is unaware of. You do not want to enter a place that God has not entered and opened for you. So he's the one who opens the doors. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. When you pray with that understanding, that God is in total control of everything that's happening in Japan, everything that's happening in Mexico, everything that's happening in Senegal or France, in Toulouse. When you pray with that understanding, your confidence will go through the roof. Why? Because the God of the universe is your father. He's most wise, all good, and all powerful. And furthermore, he cannot lie. He keeps all of his promises and he doesn't tempt us with evil. If he sends you through a door, it's for your good and his glory. He's a faithful God. And this truth should change our perspective in very dramatic ways. God, would you do this? Paul's specific request was that the Lord would open a door for his word. Not for them but for his word. Paul didn't have the power. He told the church at Corinth, why are you bickering about divisions? I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Apollos. Did Paul save you? Did Peter save you? No. The power is the word. The word which he declared in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is God's dynamite unto salvation. So pray that God would open a door for the word to be heard in Toulouse or in Chiba or in Mexico or wherever else. The Lord is at work. Notice Paul didn't pray that the Lord would release him from prison so that he could do this. <laughs> he was not the focus. Paul prayed that in and through the crisis of imprisonment, the Lord would grant him and his cohorts the opportunity to preach the mystery of Christ, 
declaring the way of salvation to those in spiritual bondage, wherever they are. Andrew found Peter and brought Peter to Christ, and the rest is history. Barnabas found Paul and brought him before the church, and the rest is history. God does the work. And a door to God's word of, is Paul's way of saying that the gospel is God's power, and faith in this gospel is also the means by which people enter into the kingdom of God. It is the sovereign God alone again who opens and shuts doors. My friends, the Lord just doesn't open doors. He wants people to follow his son. And so Paul is saying, pray that God would open a door for the word. Not just the written word, but for the living word. Why? Because we are called as the head, as the body of Christ, to follow the head. And I learned this from, from one of my favorite preachers in the PCA, Dr. Diane Langberg. She, she's a counselor. She's not a preacher. But she spoke life into my life many years ago. And she said, a body that doesn't follow its head will become sick. It will atrophy and it will die. God wants you to follow the head. He wants you and me to follow the head. He wants you and me to be nourished by the true vine as we abide in Christ. God wants us to pray to the Lord of the harvest because he knows the fields are white. And he will send laborers into the harvest. And the mystery of Christ is that now in these last days, the gospel is freely offered to Jews and Gentiles alike. And when any man respond to Christ, both Jews and Gentiles have equal spiritual privileges. Paul says in Ephesians 6, there's a corollary verse to this passage. He says in 19, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I like that. Because what Paul is saying is that he's no different from you and me. This great man of God was at times afraid to proclaim Christ. At times he was in, much, in so much fear and trembling that he didn't know what to do. And he told this to the Corinthians. Like you and me, Paul hated to be rejected. I don't like rejection. He was tempted to sugarcoat the gospel so that people could like him or so that he could get the numbers and go back to the church at Antioch and say, oh yeah, we did our first missionary journey and 10,000 people came to Christ. And the church at Antioch go, yeah, brother Paul. That's a temptation for missionaries. Did you want to hear the numbers and we want to see people saved. And we might see one person saved, and all of a sudden, God does stuff. You know, I can't even boast. Uh, you know, the, our brother talked about the church in Japan for so many years, uh, and it humbled me. I mean, a, a family leaves this country and goes to a foreign country, and for, and for many years, the, the converts were coming in slowly. My wife and I, we left the country for 25 years. We go back and... And then, boom, the church just started growing like weeds. Not because of me. 
I can't boast. How many people say they had 45 people in church or they'll take 60 people? Man, we go to Memphis, we had 300 people at our first worship service. But there were 300 needy people, so we had to start whittling them down, Pastor Tim. Because that would have killed me. So, we, we, we don't like being rejected. We like to know that what we are doing matters. But it does matter to God. It does matter to his people. And so we pray. Expecting God to do the impossible. Because he is faithful. So, as I wrap this up, I want to say a few things again. Number one. What Paul is saying in this passage is that prayer is very important to God. We are not to take it lightly. Or we are not to abuse it by mechanical or, or superficial habits. Jesus said, don't, don't pray like the Pharisees with their long speeches and their rote. The Lord is calling us to, to agonizing more in prayer. Unless organizing to go forward. You got that? More agonizing and less organizing. That's what prayer does for us. It's not selfish. God wants us to pray for one another. Man, we, we are community. That little book by Bonhoeffer, Life Together, that's true, man. I mean, God, God puts us here to equip the saints. And the word is to bind up broken wounds. Because we all hurting. And so we find community. And, and one, I, I mean, one of the greatest things I hear, I, I've been a Christian now, so I, I mean, I, I, I think I was a Christian from I was five. But I've been, honestly, I've been a Christian now for about 40, 45 years. And when people tell me, man, I'm praying for you, it's like, thank you. It means a lot to me. Prayer is humbling. We are called to humble ourselves and admit our struggles to one another. There is no temptation taken you and me, but such as is common to man. Okay? You go and through stuff and you think you're all alone, you're not alone. We all in this together. When I found out I had a torn rotator cuff, one guy in Gallus told me, welcome to the world's largest fraternity. Oh, I'm not the only one. I was listening to a sister uh, earlier the other day, and she was telling me about all of the surgeries she's had, and I'm like, oh, wow, she's, she's talking about me, or she's using her voice, her voice to talk about me, because, yeah, we, I had that, yeah, I had that. And Pastor Tim, when we get old, you know, like when we get in our 90s, we'd be comparing wounds. Yeah, I got this, and you know that commercial of those two old dudes? But it's humbling. It's humbling when you know what to do. And you got all of this know-how, yet God wants you to wait and talk to him. But humbling is good. That's how we see his grace. We resist the proud, my friends. Prayer is also foundational to making disciples. Prayer, Paul wasn't asking prayers for himself. He's asking prayers for his work. Remember, it is God who opens doors of opportunity, and he does it through prayer. It is God who saves the lost, but he worked through our prayers. You know, the biggest lie that the devil has ever perpetrated on the PCA is that 
God's elect will come to him no matter what we do or don't do. But God has appointed prayer as a means of grace for the salvation of his people from the domination of sin. And finally, prayer works. Prayer really works. Or else Paul would not have asked these people to pray for him. Prayers do not change God. It changes us. Aligning us to the will of, of God to move on our behalf. Since Paul believed in prayer, since Jesus prayed, we can surely believe in prayer also. That brother was sold out to the concept of a supernatural working of the Almighty God. I want us also to become sold out to this concept that your Father in heaven, he's supernatural. He can do things, he, he can blow our mind with the things he is capable of doing. Bear with me as I read this portion from C.S. Lewis. I, it, I think it captures this text so well. He says, today we need to rediscover the power of prayer, earnest, prevailing prayer. In our educated technological society, we find it natural to depend on our reason, our education, our abilities, training, and technology to do the work of God. As a result, we venture only as far as our rational headlights will shine and attempt only what our unaided strength can accomplish. It often seems that if we pray at all, it is to ask God to bless plans we have already made. Consequently, we have little vision or little power, and our efforts bear the mark of the human rather than the divine. Only a rediscovery of the power of prayer and the ministry of the Spirit can restore the fire of God to our lives and to our congregations. And it will enable us once again to advance the kingdom of God. He closes by saying this. For those who would recover this power, this path is clear and the way sure. We enter it by consecrating our lives afresh to the living God and to the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And then with the apostles, we earnestly ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Then devote ourselves to praying. To those who walk this path, the possibilities are limited only by the limitations of God. And nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible with God. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your servant Paul. We thank you for his letter to the Colossian saints, encouraging them to pray and develop a prayer life, empowering them to believe that their prayers matter, and equipping them to become participants to the ministry of prayer in this great work of extending your kingdom here on this earth.
Raise up out of this congregation men and women, not of methods, but men and women of prayer. Men and women who would articulate their dependence upon you. Thank you again for what you have done and what you will do in us and through us. In all things, may Christ have the preeminence. In his great name we pray. Let the church say amen.